Hey guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. If you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know Randy Larson as one of the co-hosts for the Classic Records episodes. Not only is Randy one of my oldest friends, but he's also the founding member of Cable, a band that has been performing and putting out records since 1994. That's a long time. They've worked with a number of solid independent labels such as Hydrahead, Doghouse, The End, and Translation Loss. Randy and I spoke about the ups and downs of the band over the last 25 plus years. And of course we got around to talking about their brand new record, their first record in 10 years, Take the Stairs to Hell, out on Translation Loss Records, July 26th in the year of our Lord, 2019. When was the last time Cable put out a record? Uh, 2009 was the last studio album we put out. So we're looking at a 10-year hiatus period. Yeah, only 10 years. Only 10? <laughs> Not bad, right? So we have a new Cable record coming out. And uh, so what's what's the details, man? Like, what's the name of the album? When's the release date? You know, what's the uh, the whole background behind it? When did, where do you record it? Like, all that good stuff. Well, it's coming out on uh, July 26th on Translation Loss Records. Uh, it's called Take the Stairs to Hell. Uh, we recorded it over a bunch of different sessions in the winter, mainly January and February, and uh, up in uh, Boston with Alex Garcia Rivera, his studio up there called Mystic Valley. Um, you joined us for a day. Yeah, that was great, man. I had, I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, um, there's been a bunch of different guys on the record, too. Yeah, there's. Uh, we don't normally have a lot of guests on our records in the past, but uh, this time we do. You? Well, before we get into that, though, uh, there's you know we, the lineup on the album. Because like Cable has been through several different iterations. Uh, you know, I mean, when, when, when did you... You guys started in the 90s. You have like a, almost 20 years of... Uh, over 20 years of history as a band. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been about 25 years. Yeah. I think the first time we rehearsed was April of 1994. Wow. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of starts and stops and uh, detours along the way. Break up, get back together, kick this guy out, get this guy. A lot of that. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Anyone who knows the history of the band even a little bit knows that. Um, so so the, the core of the band, who's actually on the records, like you were saying, you know, I... I, I came out and did some vocals and there's been a bunch of other people contributing to the record. Right. But who was the core of uh, the band that's on the recording? So the Cable 2019 moving forward is uh, me on bass and vocals, Bernie Romanowski on guitar, who's been in the band since 1996. Um, Peter Ferris on vocals. Chris Vischelta on guitar, and uh, Alex Garcia Rivera is a new drummer. Um, this is the first time he's played with us. Now, Alex has been in like a ton of bands. Uh, yeah, I've known Alex for a long, long time, as I know you have too. Um, he's been in a ton of bands. I mean, so many bands. Uh, he, currently, he's an American Nightmare, 
Blood Horse. He does like a solo project called Chrome Over Brass, plus the studio, Mystic Valley. He runs that. Um, but I've known him. I met Alex in maybe the early 90s, 91, 92, when he used to play in an old hardcore band called Kingpin from Boston. Yeah. And we uh, kind of remained friends, you know, we drift in and out, see each other at a show, reconnect or whatever. Um, so I hooked up with him a couple of years ago when we remastered and remixed uh, the Never Trust a Gemini album. Uh, he has a fully analog studio, one of the only functioning ones left. Uh, and we recorded that record on two-inch tape, so he was the first guy I thought of to go do the remix of the record. And that's how we kind of reconnected and started this uh, little journey into him being in cable. Yeah, I've known Alex for a long time. We were roommates for a while. Uh, we played in a band for a minute. And, uh, you know, he was in uh, Shelter and uh, yeah. Better, Better Than a Thousand, Baby Gopal, like a million bands. A million bands. Yeah, Pieball maybe for a minute. Yeah, Pieball towards the end. Uh, he was also, I think, the live drummer for Cold Cave. Uh, he does that on occasion. I think he still does that on, on yeah. occasion. Yeah. So he's, he's a, he gets out there for sure. And well, he's a powerful drummer too. Oh yeah, man. I can't, I can't say enough good things about Alex. I'll, I'll just say we're very happy with our choice. Very yeah. happy. So how was the writing? Did you, is it something that you've been working on, um, on and off for the last several years or did you guys just get together and just, you know, like woodshed some songs or like, you know, how'd that all happen? The lineup of the band that recorded the record never rehearsed together. Not one time. Okay. <laughs> we did have a couple full band rehearsals with a different drummer uh in the late summer early fall um that didn't work out and then we had already booked the studio time so we kind of didn't have a drummer for a little while it was like zero hour and alex agreed to do it but the songs we practiced we never practiced with this lineup that made the record um i went up to the studio me and alex rehearsed the songs that i had the skeletons for um we, we tracked the bass and drums that way and everything else was done as overdubs. We did the bass and drums live. But uh, the songs on the record, some of them have been around. I wrote every song on the record except for the intro and the outro. Um, normally, uh, Bernie contributes with a couple songs. I usually write the bulk of the songs for every cable record. But uh, the way this just unfolded was I, I wrote everything and... Uh, those guys, you know, they wrote their own guitar parts and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the basic skeletons of the songs, I wrote almost all of that. So it was very different the way we usually rehearse for months and months and months as a full band than go in and make a record. This is the first time Cable has ever made a record like this. Now I have to ask the question, you know, I mean, anyone who knows Cable, uh, you know, is probably waiting for me to ask this question. <laughs> And since he is a friend of mine as well, and you know someone I've known is equally as long as you have, what happened to Vic? Well, that's a loaded question, Mike. <laughs> um, I, mean, I don't want to start any trouble, but the trouble's question, already the trouble's already been yeah. started. That's that's unavoidable at this point. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to take the high road here and I'm, I'm going to answer the question. <laughs> uh, I kicked him out of the band back in the summer. Um, didn't go well. There was a lot of uh, drama that unfolded uh, via social media, which I don't really, 
I don't really fucking bother with that shit. I'm on social media. Uh, I don't know. I'm a grown man. I don't fight with other people over social media. So I never responded to any of it in a public forum. This is the first time I've even discussed this outside of, you know, with my wife or my friends or, or whatever, friends of the band, whatever. Uh, there's been a lot. Me and, me and him started the band together. You know, there's no doubt about that. Um, over the years, our relationship uh, took many twists and turns and... Our friendship started to disintegrate, and I didn't think the band could continue on if we with him playing drums uh, on a personal level and on a musical level. Um, and all I'll say is this: four of the five people that made our last studio album, the Failed Convict, made this new album. So people that don't know what's going on inside. You know, on social media, people like to think they know everything because someone puts up a post that doesn't necessarily mean that's the absolute truth. That's one person's opinion. Four of the five people that made the last album made this one together. I didn't make this decision. I'm, I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who removed him from the band. Everyone agreed to do this. So four of the five people that made the last record made this record. We got a new drummer. So this was not a single decision that I made. Uh, the other guys in the band, their opinions matter to me, and we talk about everything as a band. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's bad blood, and I don't appreciate people going online and, and, and talking shit. I think that's very childish. Uh, I've tried, you know, I tried to reach out after the fact to try to get some resolution to this, but... It was not met with uh, open arms, to say the least. So, uh, I'm, you know, I don't know what else to say about it, really, besides just being completely negative and saying, talking a bunch of shit, which I'm just going yeah, to choose, do that, choose not to do. Yeah. So know? do you think that uh, as time goes by that the two of you will reconcile any of this? Because I'd, I'd like to see that personally, but, you know, just it's not it's something only you have the answer to. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean... Right now, no, I don't see that happening. But, you know, I mean, stranger things have happened. I'm here. You know, if uh, the phone rang, I would answer it. I've, I've tried on numerous occasions to reach out twice. I shouldn't say numerous occasions. I've tried twice to reach out and have a conversation as adults about this. And one time it was met with a nasty email as a response and the second time no one answered the phone. So I have tried. Um, but then uh, after those attempts, things just get nastier and nastier and, and I'm not going to chase someone around to, to be my friend or whatever. So I've just chose to move down the road. Well, I hope that at some point you guys could straighten this out because, you know, like I said, I've been uh, I've been a fan of cable. I've been friends with you guys for, you know, 20, over 20 years at this point. And I hate to see things uh, turn out this way. And, you know, maybe as time goes by, things will change. That's all I can say about it. Yeah, man. You know? Hey, you know, they can. Things things can always change, I guess. I mean, right right now, the, uh, the nerves are still a little raw sure. with this whole situation. So uh, I just don't have time for all this other bullshit that goes along with it, man. I just want to make a record. Yeah. Know? So, uh, now that, um, 
Now that I asked that question, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the actual record then, because yeah. like we had the core of the band, and then you had a bunch of guests on there. Yes, uh, myself included. So yes. who else is on the album? Uh, so for guests on the album, you obviously um, did some vocals on two different tracks, I believe. Uh, Graham Brooks plays guitar in a band called Barishi from Vermont. He uh, did a guitar solo on one of the songs. Uh, and then the outro uh, song called Come Home was done by uh, Jeff Caxide with some help from Aaron Harris. Uh, Jeff was an, an original member of Cable and a lifelong friend of mine, big supporter of the band. He did some production work on uh, our Gutter Queen album in 98. Uh, he's one of my closest friends, so it's it's weird calling him a guest, but he uh, he was a guest. So uh, him and Aaron Harris um, both played in the band Isis, as most people know. Good friend of mine, also. Uh, they composed a track called "Come Home," which is the outro. So uh, yeah, I guess Jeff Caxide, Aaron Harris, Michael Hill here, and uh, Graham Brooks. Those were the guests on the album. And that also, you're forgetting another person. I probably am. Hey, Christian. Oh, shit. <laughs> the guy who, like, you know. No, I wasn't forgetting him. Because <laughs> <You were laughs> I was, uh, oh, my, I'm going, okay, we got, we got, you know, we got, uh, Bruce Graham. Uh, yeah, what about Christian? Right. Maybe okay. I did need notes for my own episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, not intentionally did I forget him. Put, putting this, uh, yes, Christian McKenna, who uh, also is the one of the co-owners of Translation Loss, who's been putting out cable albums for a long time, putting out this one. He is also the lead singer for another band I do called Empty Flowers and a good friend of mine. So I apologize, Christian, for forgetting you. But he he does vocals on a song as well. There's a lot of different vocals going on. In this I know, movie, I know. It which was is pretty cool, really. And I mean, yeah. One of my, I mean, I was there for only one day, and um, I remember I showed up right when Graham did his amazing guitar solo. Yeah, which left everyone just on yeah. The then floor. he just like laughed afterwards. <laughs> He's like, "All right, cool. Later, guys." Boom, took off. And uh, Pete killed it on some vocals. Uh, Christian did some, you know, awesome, awesome vocals on the record yeah. too, man. So it was pretty cool. It was really great, man. Having because I think all four of those vocalists um, bring something vastly different to the table. Um, I mean, I'll just say it. Cause I don't give a shit. Like Pete, I was trying to do a part and I couldn't do it, and Pete just walked in there. This this fucking guy's been on the shelf. For like eight years, he hasn't sang at all. He just walked in there and nailed his part, the, this, the part I couldn't do. Uh, so it was valuable to have weapons like you, Pete, and Christian, yeah. <laughs> there that day. I, and I think we didn't overdo it because um, there's been uh, – some people have told me over the years there's too many vocals on cable albums and cable songs. There's not enough uh, – they don't breathe enough at times. Um, but I think even though we had four different singers there, I still think, uh, it, it's not overdone with vocals. I think it works. Yeah. You know, did Bernie do any vocals? He did not. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He, he normally he does, he does yeah. right? Yeah. A lot of times he has his own like song. Yeah. Sort of, uh, this time it just, yeah, this album was made very differently for a cable album. Um, so no, he didn't sing at all on the record this time. How many tracks are on the album? Is it like a long album or a short? No, record? it's short. It's like thirty-two minutes. I want to say it's eight tracks. Okay, Christ, I should know this, huh? Yeah, you know, maybe it's yeah, nine. you should. Maybe it's nine tracks. <laughs> <laughs> it is short though, and that was in intentional. Okay, 
I had, uh, we had other material. I had other material written. I want to make a very concise, short record with like bookended with the intro and the outro. The intro is very short as well. The outro is a little bit longer, but I just wanted it to be like bangers one right after the other. I didn't want to, I felt like our last studio album, the failed convict was, I think it was like 50 minutes or something, which I guess is pretty standard. Well, these days it is, but you're that 32 minute, um, program length that you just mentioned i mean uh, rain and blood was uh less than 30 minutes i think right yeah. so you're you're going right. in this kind of retro like you know like side a side b kind of vibe i guess well there's also you know people's i feel like people people's attention spans aren't what they used to be in a lot of ways um with you know the age of like iPods and streaming services and all it's like you tend to skip around i do i'm guilty of it too you know um, so I just want to make something short and concise. Uh, you know, maybe next time we'll be a little more adventurous <laughs> if there is a next time, but I just want to make a stripped down rock album, yeah. you know, no, uh, no shit in the middle. I just want to, wanted it to be concise. Cable started out very different than the way it is now. Um, you know, sonically, like, like the songs, like the music itself, uh, like in the beginning, you had a very different thing going on than you guys do right now. Yeah. So what you know, how how is that whole the whole cha- that whole evolution happened? Like how was uh, how was that? Uh, just kind of growing up. <laughs> you know, we were all pretty young. I was older than those guys when we started the band, um, but we were all still like pretty involved in in the uh, in the same scene. You know, uh, you know, it's the early '90s hardcore punk scene. Um, all into that kind of stuff. Um, and then I started to kind of grow away, pull away from that scene because it just started to get real like violent and real ignorant and real stupid to me. It just wasn't into it. And simultaneously started to find bands like the Melvins, Jesus Lizard, Neurosis, Buzz Oven, I Hate God, uh, Laughing Hyenas, stuff like that. So I kind of started to gravitate towards that stuff. Um, those guys were also, you know, doing the same thing, kind of. Uh, so the sound of the band changed. And when we started playing, like, we couldn't really play. I mean, you know, shit, we still can't really play. But uh, we were, the musicianship was pretty, you know, minimal. <laughs> <laughs> minimal, yeah. But we didn't want to sat. We didn't want to do like the youth crew hardcore thing. We didn't want to do like the chugga chugga thing. We we want to try. And everyone everyone wants to try this, I guess, to try to do something different. Well, well, you guys also geographically, the band was located in Connecticut, and which is like and kind of like a. It could be good, or also it could be bad place to be located in. It's usually bad because you're between New York City and Boston, which have like two you know, vibrant sort of hardcore, right. you know, scenes, punk scenes, that kind of thing. Uh, so how did, how did the location of being of Connecticut, because even though Connecticut is kind of a corridor between New England and New York City, there were bright spots within the state that lent itself, that sort of supported the band a little bit, right? Yeah, there were, mainly in the, uh, the avenue of venues. Yeah. There was, and I always get in trouble for saying this shit, but I don't care. Like, to me, Connecticut never has had a wealth of great bands, at least bands that I dig. You know, there's, there's tons of bands from Connecticut. Um, but for some reason, the venues in Connecticut uh, 
were always there and always very supportive of uh, you know touring bands and local bands. I mean, the Anthrax Club. Everyone, we never, you know, that was before cable formed. But I, I spent a lot of my youth there. Um, and then there was a place in New Haven called the Tune In, which did a lot of you know hardcore shows, metal shows. Um, and then up in Northeast Connecticut, there was a, a venue called Studio One Fifty Eight, um, which was really like the club that allowed us to play basically whenever we wanted. Me and Vic both work there, both book shows there. Um, so we played there a lot, and that's how we kind of became a band and got like a small fan base from playing there. But uh, yeah, I, I always call Connecticut the truck stop of the north because like people just pass through, you know, going from Boston to New York. <laughs> um, even though it's right between Boston and New York, there's this sense of isolation here you know we're less than two hours from new york less than two hours from boston but it and in in eastern connecticut where we were from too it's even more so like southern connecticut is like new haven and stuff there's always been a little bit of a scene i mean we live i live out in the woods so in a lot of ways we're kind of stuck with each other (laughs) (laughs) in the beginning you know so yeah i mean also there was uh one of our favorite record stores around that time too was uh, oh. Trash American Style. Absolutely, and yes, we used to go there as a band. We would like pile in the car after practice and go there. Um, very influential place for me as well, man. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. Unfortunately, the brick and mortar uh, location of Trash American Style is no more. However, Malcolm, the owner and curator of that store, is still out and about doing. You know, he's he's out there almost every weekend selling records. Yeah. And, you know, if you're anywhere in the Northeast and you go to record fairs, you'll see this guy. He's everywhere. And man. he kind of, even though he's not a native of Connecticut, he's from Florida originally. Yes. He really, when I think of Connecticut and I think of independent music and punk and hardcore, I can't help but think about Malcolm as being like an integral, you know, member of the scene. Like someone who kind of like was really, for me at least, I mean, I didn't grow up in Connecticut, but I grew up on the border, was... um of you know, New York, Connecticut border was someone who was like this kind of bolster, like a spot, like trash American style was like a, a location for people to, to go to and find out about music, you know? So it was, yeah, I'd like to think that somehow he contributed to independent music in Connecticut. You know what I mean? I, oh, without a doubt, man, you can't really mention independent music, underground music in Connecticut without mentioning Malcolm or trash. And, when I was going through this uh, change of like kind of getting away from your standard punk and hardcore, getting more into like you know metal and noise rock and, and stuff like that, uh, Malcolm would always recommend things to me. Oh, you like this? Check this out. You know, and like yeah, he would be like proud of me when I would come up to the counter with like a tad CD <laughs> or, or or something that wasn't on Revelation. You yeah. know. <laughs> um, he could, he would like, I would go there so much, he'd kind of see the growth and listening, you know, like, oh, you only used to listen to hardcore, now you're listening to like, you know, this and this. So, yeah, Malcolm was a huge part of uh, my musical, you know, taste and stuff growing up for sure. Um, yeah, that, that's, that shop was cool because I remember you, you would go in there and he would have like, you know, all the youth of today and Gorilla Biscuits and all those seven inches up behind behind the counter. But then you could find like, you know, 
like his heroes gone you could find gun club records you can find opal records everything on sst yes his like bootleg manson cassette label gg allen gg allen there used to i remember there was a rollins band end of silence rug <laughs> remember i that? remember that yeah like yeah, hanging yeah. up on the wall and um and then there's all this like just miscellaneous just stuff he had like books and videos and bootlegs and it was the kind of shop that just doesn't exist anymore in the 21st century, you know? It wasn't just a record stop, uh, yeah. shop. It was like a cultural experience, <laughs> you know? It was like, uh, you know, yeah, there was always, you always like rummage through shit and find some weird thing or some weird zine or some weird book or like you'd use clothes in there. Yep. Like it always had that smell. Yeah, that totally. Incense. <laughs> yep, incense, yep. Um, yeah, man, it was just, it was a really unique place. It wasn't just like a record shop. You know, it was, but it was so much more than that. So when did Pete actually come into the fold in the band? 2002? I could be off by a year or so there. But uh, yeah, Pete is an interesting guy. <laughs> How, how'd you meet Pete? Uh, I remember him from another band, actually. Yeah, Pete, uh, he used to sing for a band called The Farewell Order. Uh, from New Haven. He was going to school at Yale, living up here. I think he finished school by that point and uh, was singing in this band. And they opened for Cable at a show, I think at the LNG Club, which used to be in New London. Um, and they were great. And I, he just caught my attention for some reason. I really liked what he was doing vocally. And then uh, you know, I talked to him at the show for a minute or whatever. And then we ran into each other a few more times the guy could maybe a Melvin show or something. And we just, you know, we just started talking. Um, the Feral Order didn't sound anything like Cable. They're more like spastic kind of early Dillinger, yeah. Burp by the Sun type stuff like that. Um, but we just got to talking and we ended up liking a lot of the same kind of stuff that influenced Cable, Big Neurosis fan, Buzz of him fan, stuff like that. Um, so I, I had been kicking around the idea of adding another vocalist to the band and, uh, we just figured we'd give it a shot. We we're about to start writing a new album. So uh, he gave me a demo that he made with uh, – it was one of the guitar players in the Pharaoh Order, but I forget what it was called. I think it was just like a joke name or something. They didn't really have a name, but they recorded two songs, and he was like singing. He wasn't yeah. – because he was just screaming the Farewell Order right. like in, you know, insane. And I was like, shit, man, you can actually kind of sing. And he's like, well, I don't know. I've never done it. I'm like, well, this shit sounds cool. So he just started rehearsing with us when we started doing uh, Never Trust the Gemini album. Uh, and he ended up singing on the record just as much as I did. Um, and then we went and recorded that record with him. And he's been on every cable record in some form since. Because I remember when I came, you guys played at CB's. And I remember coming down to the show. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy up there? You know I mean? and, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is Pete. And I'm like, oh, well, so now you got another, you got a guy singing now? Like yeah. I was thinking, I thought yeah. it kind of tripped me out at first, but then I was like, man, this dude is actually really, really good. Yeah, he is, dude. I, I can't stress enough how good, he's a great, well, he's a writer. Yeah. You know, he's a published writer. Yeah, yeah, totally. I read, I read one of his books at least. Yeah. yeah and uh, he's a very smart guy. Uh, and his lyrics are awesome. So he wrote his own lyrics, the, the songs that he sang. He always writes his own okay. lyrics. Right, cool. Yeah. Yep. Always. Um, yeah, actually, pretty much that's one thing. Even the songs Bernie sings, Bernie writes his own lyrics. I write my own, of course. Um, but yeah, he always writes his own lyrics. He always does his, you know, his own phrasing and all that stuff. I never, 
we collaborate a little bit, but like he, I don't, I just send him shit and he, shows and he up comes and up with it. Yeah, he's he's fucking. Uh, he ended up moving back to Georgia, right? Uh, after like a year or two after he joined the band, which sucked because it created a different dynamic. He just couldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. So we would he'd fly up for recording, sing on a song, maybe do backups on another song. But I mean, my my master plan was to make him the guy. I wanted him to be the singer. Maybe I would just do backups because Bernie just kind of wanted to get away from singing for right. years. Um, but with the distance thing, it's kind of hard to do that and play shows and stuff yeah, like definitely. that. Yeah, definitely. So, but he's definitely a, a member of the band, you know, for sure. Tim, right? Guitar player. Chris. Right. Was Chris in the band at that show at CB's that I came to? <laughs> I know that's a random question, but like at that point, were you on you guys at the two guitar? Um, lineup or uh yes yeah chris was in the band bernie was not in the band okay and uh this guy aaron aaron lewis not the guy from stained (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately you know uh was in the bands yeah we're we're two guitar we recorded uh a record with bernie bernie left immediately after we recorded the record uh and then we had to replace him and that's when chris came aboard Aaron was already in the band. Um, so that show at CB's yeah. was me, Vic, and Pete. No, no Bernie. No Bernie. Right. Uh, Aaron on guitar and Chris on guitar. Damn. Okay. Yeah, it's been a revolving it's been a lot, door. man. Yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> it's right, life's rich tapestry, yeah, shall sure. we say. That's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, we recorded – yeah, the record we recorded – was called Pigs Never Fly, which is my definitely my least favorite cable record we've ever done. It was recorded to not be an album. It was supposed to be a demo uh, that we were going to do, like, press, like, 50 CDRs and sell at shows for, like, five bucks and right. then really go record the album. And somehow, in our infinite wisdom, we thought it would be a good idea to release that as an album, and I, I can't fucking stand it. I can't stand it. So you were, you were mentioning that... Um, in the past, all of the vocalists have uh, done their own lyric writing, but on this last record, you, you wrote all the songs and you wrote all the lyrics. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, the song "Rats on Fire," I wrote all the music. Pete wrote all the lyrics. Oh, okay. And did all the vocals. Okay. That's the way we've kind of approached it since he has moved back to Georgia. Is there's always a Pete song where we write the music, send him a demo. He comes up with all his own lyrics um, and just knocks it out. Yeah, so I did not write the lyrics. And I mean, I wrote most of the other lyrics, but even the stuff you sang on, I sent you like ideas and you kind of did your thing with them. I mean, they're pretty true to form. Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much, I mean, I think I changed like a one word. Yeah. And like the phrasing might have been a little different, you know? Right. Right. But I mean, I pretty much did what you told me to do. Yeah. I took direction from you. <laughs> yeah. So how is, what is your relationship now with singing? Because you mentioned earlier that you wanted Pete to be the guy and you to just do backups, but you still, you, you know, you're primarily the singer of the band. So yeah. how do you, how do you, how does that sit with you these days? Uh, well, that's the problem is I am primarily the singer of the band. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I don't mean it like that. It's not a problem, but uh, I always like the freedom 
to play my instrument without being tied to do to vocals. Um, you know, I've been doing this shit for a long time. I've never taken vocal lessons and my voice is pretty shredded, man. Like I don't, we're not a band that practices every week. We're not a band that practices at all lately, unless we have something going on. Um, we don't really rehearse. So I don't really stay in my vocals go out of shape. Um, so it's just a struggle I have. Uh, I should do more in my own time. I should, uh, you know, do some exercises and stuff like that. I don't. I'm lazy. Uh, I was singing for another band uh, for the last few years, which is not around anymore. I was just singing for a band called Slow Death. And that was awesome because I felt like my vocals were in shape. Yeah. Um, so it just becomes a struggle. It takes me a while. Once we start playing and practicing, it takes me a while to get to where I want to be. Um, where I feel like my voice is strong. Um, but the bottom line is, man, I can't fucking sing. <laughs> I can't sing. Yeah, but that I can st- do what I do. That hasn't stopped anyone ever. From, I know. It <laughs> oh, certainly hasn't stopped me. But there's things that I want to hear in cable songs. There's things that I write that I want to hear that I can't do. And I'm not, I mean, it's the fucking truth, man. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Like Pete can do shit that I can't do. And I hear that in our songs. I mean, you can do shit that I can't do. Uh, and I hear that in our songs. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of hogtied sometimes. Like, uh, I feel like sometimes I'm settling for my range of what I can do. I can do two things, man. I can do like a low register type thing that borderline that borders on talking. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of like scream. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That, I mean, that's that's my limitation. So I've always wanted to push the band. Uh, you know, I just want to like anybody, man. I want to progress. I want to I want to push the band. I want I have ideas in my head that I can't convey, and it sucks. So that's why I want to bring. When I realized Pete could sing, I'm like, man, I want to bring this guy aboard. I, I never want to stop singing completely for Cable. I think that'd be maybe too weird. Yeah, since you've been invo- involved in that capacity from you know the whole time with the band, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I gotta be honest, man. I don't love singing. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, it's we. It's a weird thing. As long as Cable makes records, I'll sing on them because um, I feel like I have to. Um, I, I shouldn't say it like that. Yet. I mean, I do enjoy it. You know, it's it's a release for me. I get something out of it. But like it, musically, I want something more uh, on our songs. So that's that's my relationship with singing. I I, I still enjoy it. Um, I got to be more vigilant about staying in shape. Yeah. What about lyric writing? Um, like where how what's your process like for that? You know, for writing lyrics, is that something you enjoy at all? Writing yeah, lyrics? I do. Yeah, I enjoy that. Uh, I don't have a pro. I don't really have a process. Shit just comes to me when it comes to me. Uh, this album, uh, the lyrics were kind of all pulled from pretty dark places. <laughs> uh, the la- the last studio album we did in two thousand nine was our stab at a quote unquote concept album. Okay, which was the first time the band has ever done anything like that. All the lyrics have always been very like you know kind of on the personal level interpret them as you may kind of stuff like that. There was never any th- real themes that from song to song, album to album. Um, I mean, people may say there was, but there wasn't. 
So I didn't want to do that again. I didn't want to try to do like a concept type album again. And I've just, uh, it's been a rough few years, man. So when it, when it came time to make this record and, and put the pen to the paper for the lyrics, uh, I just, you know, a lot of stuff was built up in my head and it just came out. I don't, I don't really have like a process for writing lyrics though. Yeah. That's always, um, to me, one of the more like arcane aspects of writing music is writing lyrics because it's like, you know, the, 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 the actual songwriting part, the songs, like the, the, the music part right. is uh, very abstract in a lot of ways. It's the sound and rhythm, you know. But when you have to actually pull those abstractions for all your emotions into representations of words and, and vocal patterns and things like that, that's always been like the scariest part of writing, of writing music for me personally too. You know, because you're like, what do you, how do you take these feelings that you have and express them in words, you know? And that process right. has always been almost like this, like turning like, you know, lead to gold or something like that. It's like this alchemical kind of thing. It's always been very, very challenging for me to, to think about that stuff. Is it more the lyric writing or the phrasing putting it to music for you that's the, the lyric writing the actual literal writing of it the phrasing i think has always been something that's like it, it kind of those patterns kind of just calm you know what i mean right but i feel like the words you know and that's why i'm always interested to hear about how other people do it another interesting thing too with like you know working with you a little bit on the record with vocals and stuff like that um and pete you guys i could there's a piece of music i could present to you guys and you guys would phrase something totally different than i would and I like that working with other singers too. That's another part of it is I kind of want to try to learn from other people how they hear something. Yeah. Um, I had an idea I always wanted to do, but everyone fucking hates it. I I, <laughs> I still want to do it. I don't know for a cable record, maybe. I don't know. I always want to write one song, you know, like whatever, four and a half, five minute song, and then give that music to 10 different vocalists without anyone ever hearing the other person's stuff. Have them write their own lyrics, cut their own vocals the way they hear it, and then compile that on an album. That'd be a cool idea. I like that idea. And no one likes it. I can't. Who, who, who's these people that don't like that uh, idea? Yeah, dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea, man. So do I, man. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Because I, I would just love, it's a fun experiment to see how different people approach the song you've written. You know, well, who would you ask? Like, if you had, if say this project were to happen, what, what, give me a list of like, say, five to 10 vocalists that you would ask. Like, who would, off the top of your head, who would you ask to do this? Uh, I could probably guess one or two of them Dio, Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah, those are, Dio might be hard since he's dead, but you know. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I guess I would try to take a stab at one. I would have Pete do one, obviously. Um, I would, sure, I would ask you. Um, I'd probably ask Steve Austin. That's who I thought you Today would be day. on that list. Yeah, definitely Steve. Because um, he's so fucking crazy. I'm sure whatever he came up with would be insane. Um, shit, I don't know, man. I have, a, you know, there's people that I think are uh, reasonable, and then there's like, well, yeah, like go, like go across the gamut, man. I mean, my one of my favorite vocalists of all time is John Brandon from Negative Approach, Laughing Hyenas. You know, I don't know John Brandon. I've said hi to him a few times, but 
would he do it? I don't see. That's the thing. I don't know who if I who I could get and who I couldn't get. But I would probably compile a list of about twenty, and hopefully maybe eight or ten would bite. You know. Yeah. Um, but talk to Christian and see if he'll put this out. <laughs> I have. And what he didn't like he the idea. He doesn't love the idea. Nah. I think it's an interesting idea, man. I think it's an interesting idea too. I mean, yes, it, at the end of the day, it's only one piece of music, but it's it'll be interpreted totally differently by everyone. I think who hears it. Well, something like this reminds me of something that AMREP would have done like back in the 90s where they would release a uh, series of seven inches or something with different guys doing the same song, yeah. like singing it, and then there would be like a B-side or something like that. You know what I mean? You're right. That does sound like – maybe I should call uh, Hazelmeyer. You should call Tom Hazelmeyer. Maybe you're inter- <laughs> interested in doing yeah. something Who the like fuck that. is this? Well, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Uh yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a million singers I can think that I'd love to ask, you know, um, whether they would do it or not. I don't know. Jonah Jenkins is another guy I'm a huge fan of. I don't really know Jonah. I, you know, once again, we've crossed paths at shows or whatever. Always been a big fan of his vocals. I'd want to, want to find, try to find people that are different type of vocalists too, you know, not just, I mean, I can fucking scream, you yeah. know, sort of. <laughs> so, yeah, that's an idea, you know, if I, if I can find someone to, if anyone out there wants to give me some money to go make this record, please hit me up. <laughs> All right, so the record's coming out. You have a release date? Yes, July 26th. Translation Lost? Translation Lost Records, yes. Okay, now, do you have any plans to go out there and support this record? Any uh, shows or anything like that? Any concepts for some shows? There are concepts for shows. Uh Come hell or high water, we will play some shows to support this record in the fall of, of uh, 2019, of this year. We are, we can't tour, which sucks. We can't play a lot of shows, which sucks. It's just everyone's life and schedules with jobs and kids, and it makes it virtually impossible for us to do almost anything. We can't even rehearse until, like, September. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, you know, we're trying to do a set of new new material and old material. Uh, we Alex needs to learn the old material. We need to rehearse. So I'd say we're shooting for November-ish to go out, do some shows in the Northeast. Uh, and we're talking to some other bands. And hopefully we're going to do like a two or three band package. Nice. And do like four nights or something like that in the Northeast. Cool. Yeah. Damn, so Alex is a is like doing it man he's doing it alex is the drummer alex is like a drummer's drummer man for sure he's a workhorse man yeah he was it was a pleasure recording the record with him and playing and you know he alex also put his two cents in with some of the arrangements and stuff like that not everything i walked in the door with was the final product you know alex did help a lot with arrangements um he was very involved in the guitars with ideas. He, he he recorded the record, but he also produced the record. Nice. And played drums on the record. So, yeah, I, gave a look, I was able to con him into just being the drummer because I was like, dude, we play like four shows a year, you know? Just be the drummer. So he's in the band photo now, so he's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that that that's I'm glad to hear that because, uh, you know, I think that – the drummer is the foundation of the band, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, man. He Al, Alex. It was just perfect. It was it was perfect. You know, I couldn't asked for someone to step in and on short notice and and do what he did. He he got he knew what we were trying to do. He was familiar enough with the band. He went in there and he played the song. He, he wasn't trying to overplay. He wasn't trying. He was just trying to make the song the best it could be. And uh, we couldn't be happier with him, man. Do you think that cable is something that's going to continue on after this? Like, is that your hopes and your, your plan? Yeah. Like, it's going to be just, it's still, this is still something that's alive, right? Yeah, man. I, I've tried to kill this so many fucking times, dude. Yeah, I, I've tried. <laughs> I've made every opportunity, I've taken every uh, opportunity to kill it, and it just keeps coming back. I feel like it's something I need to do. Um, I want to make another record. I want to play more shows. Um, this year's, you know, we're kind of hamstrung with what we can do, but I'm right, hoping right. in 2020 we'll start writing, making a new record, yeah. play more shows. I really want to play more shows, you know, within reason. We can't tour. It's never going to happen unless I were to get a bunch of fill-in guys, and I don't really want to do that. I could see know? having, like, one or two guys, like, fill in, but, you know, like, you want to, you want to keep main, the, the core of the band solid, you know what I, I got to keep these guys happy, you yeah. know? you know. You know, everyone's got a problem with everything all the time. So, you know, people are, yeah, who knows? Who knows? I, I, I like to get out West. We've never been a band for 25 years, never played on the West Coast. Really? Oh, I didn't, you know. Never played overseas, never played Europe. Like, oh, wow. No, we played the States and Canada, but we'd never been further West than like uh, Texas, the Midwest, wow. Wisconsin, shit like that. Like we've never played on the West Coast. We've had opportunities that just didn't work out for whatever reason. So yes, I want to. I would like to keep this going. Um, everyone else does as well. You know, we've had conversations about this. Hopefully, Alex will want to keep doing it, and you know, if not, we'll figure that out as we go. But awesome. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the final, seeing the actually holding a copy of the record in my hands. I've heard I've heard the final masters and they sound great. Thank you. And who did the mastering on it? Uh, Audio Siege, uh, Brad Boatwright. Okay, cool. I'm familiar with that work. Yes. And um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm glad to have been part of the record. Happy to have you, man. Yeah. And uh, thanks, you know, for for sharing this with us, Randy. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.